Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel, and we have a lot to talk about as we come up to the trade deadline. The surging Philadelphia Phillies kind of rinsing the bad taste of a weekend sweep last weekend against the Cubs with two out of three against the Braves, and they back it up with a four-game sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're eight games over 500 for the first time in over 1,100 days. They're at the high water mark of this season. They control their playoff destiny as the calendar flips to August. And Anthony, I know that listeners come to this show to hear positive Phillies talk, to hear optimism, to hear sunshine and roses. And we are here, and this team is within striking distance of the playoffs with 60 games to go. So let's jump right into it. I know that you were out in Western Pennsylvania this weekend. Your observations, your thoughts, your feelings... Phillies are one of the World Series, right? Well, I'm not going that far, Bob, but I'll, I'll tell you. And it was funny because both of my sons looked at me this weekend and, and they said that I'm, I've completely gone off the rails. Um, but my belief is, is you know, obviously not only are they going to get in the playoffs, but that this team is built to last in the playoffs. It's built to, it's built to sustain. Um, and, and I'm not certain right now if there's a team that you look at and say, 100% Phillies lose to that team in the playoffs. I mean, I, I think there are teams that were obviously Phillies would be an underdog against. They'd be underdog against the Braves and the Mets and the Dodgers. But I don't look at any of those teams and sit there and say, well, it's a guarantee the Phillies can't win a series against that team. Especially if they add a third starting pitcher. If you add another starting pitcher, I put the Phillies pitching staff up this season, not career, but this season against anybody in the National League. And so, therefore, I think that this is a team that has the ability not just to get into the playoffs, Bob, but to get in and, and be in it for a while and may, you know, maybe win that first round and maybe even a second round and get to that NLCS. I, I think that the team is good enough. I think that there's enough talent here. I, I, I would like one more starting pitcher. I would like that kind of you – know, I would like there to be a little bit more consistency with the offense overall. Um, but you don't do what this team has done since Bryce Harper went out. You don't win as many games as this team's won without the MVP of the league if there's not, if it's not a good team. You just don't. I don't care that they played the Pirates and stink and swept the Pirates. Last, last year when you had Bryce Harper, they lost this series or, or split it or you know, whatever. These games are not – that's not happening with this group. There is a confidence level with this group. There is a belief with this group. There is a level of talent with this group that is different than anything we've seen in the past few years when maybe we might have bought in at some point and, and came up with fool's gold. This is a different team. So it's interesting. If you've been listening to this show for years or just jumped in this season, you know that, and we always talk about this, this podcast tends to slant uh, a little bit on the negative side. We tend to be a little bit critical. Things are going well. We're the yeah, but guys. 
So it's interesting to kind of lead into this show with you talking about not only is this team a postseason team, but that if it gets there, it's going to do damage. Someone said to me uh, over the weekend, because let's be honest, both Friday and Saturday, and hell, even to a degree, Thursday night got kind of weird. Uh, it wasn't always pretty, but they found ways to win. And, and so uh, one of my friends sent me a text message and they said, I'm not sure if this is a good team. But it is a resourceful team. It's a resilient team. And, I mean, listen, I think everybody would acknowledge that the top of the starting rotation stands up and plays against com competitors in the National League. I think that we all understand that there are parts of this lineup that, that we like. The bullpen has been so good for two months now. So I, I don't want to discredit this team by saying that it's, it's lucky. I'm not implying that at all. But what do you think about the notion that you know, maybe its greatest characteristic is the fact that it finds different ways to win, that it can win ugly, that it, it finds a way even when things aren't firing on all cylinders, because I know that that is something you absolutely could not say about this team the last few years. So when things are ugly and you find a way to win, I think that speaks more of your team as a good team than it speaks less of it. It doesn't mean that, look, every team needs a little bit of luck, right? Every team needs needs a little bit of resilience. Every team needs to win games ugly sometimes. Sometimes you just don't have your best pitching. Sometimes you just don't have the whole lineup hitting at once. And you need to find a way to win a game against a team that's not really that good or not up to your level. And you find that way to win it. And that's what good teams do. The good teams win these games. It's, it's, it's basically you're accumulating victories at this point. Right, and so yeah, they did sweep the Pirates four straight, and two of the four games were probably not the greatest games in baseball. But that—that's two more wins than they had, right? It's two more wins, and we're talking about you know, everybody's like looking at the Cardinals. Oh, let's make sure we stay ahead of the Cardinals. Do you notice where they are against the Padres right now? Yeah, they're a game and a half behind the Padres, and if you believe in run differential, mm. uh, they are markedly better in that regard. And you start to look at the National League West, and you say, wow. You know, you've got the Dodgers out there. Yeah. The Giants have been really bad now for a while, but good enough to beat you on any given night. The Diamondbacks have not been absolutely dreadful. The Rockies can beat you, especially in Colorado. And you start to wonder about the Padres' path forward over the last two months. A lot of division games, and it gets interesting. And I know that on the flip side of that, people are looking at the soft St. Louis schedule and saying, wow, that could be problematic. But I think when you balance out the fact that, in my opinion, the Phillies are better than St. Louis – and they might have an easier path than the Padres, I would imagine no matter how it shakes out, I don't want to say no matter how it shakes out, but I think that the Phillies are a playoff team. I really do. Um, I felt that they were back in March. I felt that they were even after they were swept by the Cubs last weekend, which I want to talk about in a minute. Uh, I did not think so when they were 22-29 and 29 after 51 games and Joe Girardi got fired, but uh, you know the calculus just didn't really quite make any sense to me at that point, but for the most part, I've, I felt that this was a playoff team. I am amazed by the path it has taken to where it's at this morning, uh, but I'm not necessarily surprised by the fact that they're 55 and 47 and sitting in this position. And I know you're not a big playoff projection guy. We've talked about it numerous times throughout the season, but I will say you start to look at these projections now, and they're becoming very favorable for the Phillies. Baseball reference has the Phillies with a 77.1% chance to make the postseason. Fangraph's a little bit more modest in his projection, but still better than 50%. So, as it sits here, 60 games, two months, last sprint, Phillies are in pretty damn good position here to make a run. 
Well, they are, and, and it's you know, I think I wrote it prior to this, um, uh, prior to the uh, Brave series, or, or right at the end of the Brave series is when I wrote it. Prior to the Pittsburgh series, that uh, of the next thirty-six game, or of the next forty-five games, thirty-six of the forty-five are against sub-five hundred teams. So you're on thirty-six, and then nine against good teams. The nine are the two coming up against Atlanta, and then seven over two weekends against the Mets. And the rest are against sub-500 teams. If the Phillies can't make hay with that, then they don't deserve to be in a playoffs, Bob, right? If they, can, if they can't make – if they can't do what, basically what they did to the Pirates this weekend, look, I mean, you're, you're going to play the Nationals next, right, after the Braves. You come home to play the Nationals for four games, four more. Against, it seems like every series with the Nationals is four games. Right? A stripped-down Nationals team, and already just a rancid Nationals team that, that figures to be much worse following the trade deadline. Right, so, even more so. So, right, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say you predict a sweep every time you play them, but if you're playing them four games, you, you should win three, right? So you should you should pick up two more games there. Or you should be 10, game, 10 games over 500 just by the Nationals if you split with the Braves. Say you split with these two at Atlanta, you could, that should be three, three more that you get, right? Then you get, then you get Miami. Who you just swept in Miami? Uh, you have seven coming up against the Reds. You get the Pirates for another three at home. I mean, these are these are teams that you're gonna you're gonna put away. You're gonna put them away. And the Phillies are gonna be fifteen to twenty games away. And it's funny to say it, Bob, but they're gonna be close to a twenty game over five hundred team than they are a ten game over five hundred team by the time we get to September. It's, wow. it's wild well, you to have, think that, but it's You it's have true. a blazing hot August for the Phillies uh, that is going to end up resulting in a 90-win team. Is that where we're now? I, so I, this is what I wrote. I think that this is a – I think there's a real shot at 90 wins. I think it's obviously going to come down – I think it comes down to that last series with Houston and really will depend a lot on whether Houston has to play for anything in, that, in those last this three games This is the show. This is the show – that first week of October that we come back to and we say, remember the show that we ran on August 1st where we either look very smart or we look like absolute morons. And I will say, last weekend, we, we spent most of the time following that Cubs series not talking about the, the Phillies' just dismal effort on the field, just a total all-star break hangover in that series. We talked about the media issues and all of that. But when we finally did get to baseball at the end of that show, we kind of both looked at each other and we just said, I don't know. Like it was an ugly series. It's concerning. They need to do some things to tighten up here. But we still, I think, felt pretty good about where they were heading. And so a six and one week now puts them in position, I think, to be a little bit more confident. I don't know that it fundamentally alters the philosophy of Dave Dombrowski, Sam Fold, this front office. But I think it probably does give them a little bit more confidence that if we go out and buy here between Monday and Tuesday that it's 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 a safer bet to kind of add to this team as opposed to maybe where they sat last Monday. I don't know that all of a sudden though they're they're in because of a 6 and 1 record over the last 7 games. I don't know that they're going for it so to speak that they're going to add a, a star or a, a number 2 type starter, but I do think that they can be a little bit more confident when they have these conversations and if they have that 50-50 decision where they have to look at each other in the room and kind of go we pulling the trigger here, maybe they do it, whereas opposed to a week ago, they would have had a little bit more hesitation. you think that's fair to say? I mean, what do you think this last week's done in terms of the trade deadline for this team? I think that this last week has got you has has to tell you that if you need to if you if there is a debate over whether or not 
you should move that package to get that player that you think can make you be a difference maker, you do it. That's why I think I always felt, I felt like we're buying no matter what. I, I think even if they had a, a bad week, I felt this was a buying team regardless. Um, and we talked about it last week, Bob. We said, you know, prior to the Atlanta series, we said the next nine games are five against Atlanta, four against Pittsburgh. With, you know, without Harper, without Segura, if you can go five and four in those nine games, you're happy. Right. They're already six and one. Yeah. A, so they're beyond our we'll, we'll take it point, right? They're beyond that. They have a chance to be even better. Uh, well, they're already better, and they, like, it could be much better. So I, I felt like they were always going to be a buyer at the deadline. Now I feel like they're going to be a buyer who says to themselves, what's the piece or, or two pieces that could get us to the World Series? That's how they're thinking. I'm not certain that they're good enough to get there, but I think that this week has to make them feel that way because I have to believe that they think that they can play with anybody in the National League. So I, I guess I, we talked before the show, and I'll tell everybody out there, I, I know that uh, High Hopes, Jack Fritz, James Seltzer, WIP, they did a, a podcast, the, the Perfect Trade Deadline podcast. And mm-hmm. they get really into, like, this is the guy I want, and this is the package I would part ways with. And, and you know, they do a great job. You should listen to the show and all that. But... For me, I'm I'm not that guy. Like I'm not the I need this player. These are the prospects that I would deal. This is the hypothetical deal that I think would take to get it done. I'm just not that guy, Anthony. I don't know if you are, but I would tell you that the only entry point into this for me would be that short of a superstar in return with team control, I'm not moving Mick Abel or Andrew Painter. I'm just not. This team for so long has lacked these these premier pitching prospects, and I know that Painter's probably on a different level than, than Mick Abel, but those are probably the only two guys that I don't allow into discussion. Now, I know that Jason Stark and some other reports have indicated that they want nothing to do with trading Griff McGarry, uh, Ben Brown, who was just promoted to Reading on Sunday night, uh, even Logan O'Hoppy, you know, the catching prospect. That they don't, they don't want to do this. That the Phillies have, you know, just gone to such great lengths to try to overhaul this minor league system that they're not going to undo it for a team that is is a wild card contender. I would imagine that there's a sincerity in terms of, of Painter and Abel. I would think that. Brown, McGarry, maybe McGarry, and then Ohapi, that's more just a negotiation play that like that they would have to be willing to do something with that second wave of guys if they really want to play ball here at the deadline. I mean, what's your read on this? You know how yeah, you think, know how this works yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think that that's a fair assessment, Bob. And and I probably feel the same way. Look, you know, if you really believe that Abel and um, Painter are that good, and you know, and you, and you hear um, Dombrowski talk last week, he says, "Hey, don't be surprised if one of these guys or two of these guys are not in the mix for a job on the on the major league club next year." Uh, you've seen me do it before. I've had twenty year old starters before, right? I mean, so so. Um, uh, so I get it, right? I, so I'm, 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 I'm with him on that. And if you, if you feel that those guys are that good and can be major league ready uh, to help a contending team, because that's the Phillies, there's no doubt you're, you're in your window, right? So if you, if, if you, even if you, you know, don't go as far as you'd like to go this year, you have to assume next year is part of this plan, right? If you think that one or two of these guys can pitch in the big leagues and be successful and help you win as soon as next season – then yeah, you don't move that player. 
you don't move that player because it's it's not just about right now. Yes, you want to win right now, but you also want to be good for sustained good, not just one season. Um, but beyond that, if you look at these guys and say, yeah, okay, well, there's a guy who I think could help us down the line three, four years. No, you don't, you, don't, you don't wait on that guy. Whoever that guy is, if it's three, four years, no, 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 you don't wait on that guy. You, you, make, you trade that player now. You know, or this guy, oh, we think he'll be an okay. Yeah, we, 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 we think he's a, a major league player. Let's see, let's, you know, let's see what his ceiling might be. Um, we don't know yet. No, you move that guy. So my question would guy. be, I, I, I question if, if, in if my that's mind. the give, if, if that's what you're willing to part with from a philosophical standpoint, then what is it that you're looking for on the return? And I think that you and I have a little bit of, of a differing view on, on what the Phillies should be looking for between now and Tuesday evening. You and I have both said for a very long time that the primary target for this team should be a starting pitcher. And I will say that I think my view on this has evolved a little bit. I had previously said that you need somebody just to stabilize the back end of this starting rotation. And now because this team has positioned itself the way it has, I'm starting to wonder if it's not necessarily a, a fifth starter, but it's more of a guy that you can hand the ball to in a playoff game and say, we need a really good start from you. Because... We could talk about the Phillies and how well they've played. At the end of the day, the Dodgers are ahead of this team. The Mets are ahead of this team. The Braves are the defending World Series champion. There are teams in the National League right now that are just, I think, on paper better than the Phillies. So they do need to do something that moves the needle a little bit beyond just this pushes us into the postseason and makes us more of a threat once we get there. So I think I'm now looking at more of that number 2-3 type caliber pitcher. Where are you at on that? No, I'm agreeing with you, Bob, because... I, I was thinking about it. I'm saying, okay, so you know, you get into the playoffs. You're playing a best of three series. You, you really want three guys, right? In a best of three, if you're a wild card team, you, you really want three guys because if it goes three games, who are you start in the third game? I mean, I get, right now, it would, I, I would assume it would be Ranger Suarez. Right. And although he's pitched well since he's come back from his back injury, I, you know, three really good starts. Um, I don't think he's allowed a run in whatever it is, 20 innings or something like that. Um, I'm still not 100% that Rangers a guy I want to give the ball to in a do or die playoff game. Thing right now because if you see right. it for another month and and he right. continues this, you say you know what I actually do feel good about it. Right, right, but right bet. now, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't, you got to hedge it. You got to hedge that bet a little bit. But I'll say this, and, and here's how you hedge it: if you trade for that guy that gives you that third start. Well, then if you get into it later on, if you're still pushing and you're playing the playoffs later on, and you get into a series that requires a fourth starter, and you're going to have one, if you get to games, if you get to a seven-game series, then you sit there and go, okay, well, I'm okay with Ranger going in a fourth game. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm, I like that. Um, but, but then you're going to have somebody that's going to have to – you need a third pitcher to go twice in a series. Right? And you're, if you're going to go Wheeler and Noah each get two starts – you would like that third guy to also be able to get two starts in a series and only have to pitch four and not have to pitch a fifth starter or, or have to go to a bullpen game like some teams have done in recent playoffs. You'd like to have another guy who you could say we could trot him out there and pitch him in a seven-game series twice. That's who you want. And that's, that's what, if I'm the Phillies, that's what I want. Now the question becomes, and this is where I think that the value is where I think it becomes a, a real issue of what do you have to give up for these guys? Is that player that you that you you look at that player? Is there a guy who's you know on an expiring contract 
who's a who's a rental, who's a hired gun that comes in and, and fills that void that you could probably get for a little bit cheaper, or if you want someone with some control who you think fits that role, then I think you have to be willing to you have to sit there and say to yourself, we are willing to give this up in order so to get that. And what is down. what is that? If I had to pin you down here, and, and I'm kind of curious to know what your read is because because I have one on this. There's this idea that Dave Dombrowski has been uh, very aggressive throughout his, his tenure as a general manager, team president, multiple stops. And then at last, last year at the trade deadline, they were rather conservative. Uh, Ian Kennedy, Kyle Gibson. Uh, the idea coming into this trade deadline is that they probably will repeat a similar tactic. Do you think that there's any remote possibility that come Tuesday night, a deal is done that you just say, wow, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Like, that is the the aggressive uh, roll of the dice that, that has kind of been associated with Dave Dombrowski over the years that we just didn't see coming. Like, do you think that there's a move here that they could make? Whether And I guess I'm not even asking you to say what is the move, but do you think that there is maybe like a whoa, holy shit move that they have up their sleeve that they'd be willing to do? I think it's possible, and I don't know what it would be, um, because I don't know. I, like we know the names that are out there, and if you're going by the names that are that are out there, I don't think there's a holy shit move out there. Right. Like I think the names that are out there are, are all interesting. Uh, there's players that's there going, yeah, I, I'd take that guy. I'd add that player. Um, but would I be surprised if if Dombrowski's been talking to a team about a player that we maybe haven't heard the name or haven't seen out there yet? No, I wouldn't be surprised, but it would be, be it would be awesome. Um, but I, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I mean, you, know, you look at some of the names that, that we that have been bandied about, you know, and um, Frankie Montas having a real nice year with Oakland, free agent at the end of the year. I'd like him, but I think you know he's a free agent. That wouldn't surprise me if it's him. Noah Syndergaard is having a really nice you know a nice year for a bad Angels team. Doesn't throw as hard as he used to, but he's starting to pitch a little bit like you know he's not just a flamethrower anymore i'd be okay with that i mean but also free agent end of the year so like guys like that would not surprise me um where i would be surprised and these are the only names i'll throw a couple that that would come you know i don't think that the phillies would really be uh willing to give up what it takes to get but if they do this is where i would be surprised i, I know detroit has mentioned that they're willing to that they might be willing to move on from 25 year old starter tark scubel uh, who's having a really nice year for them again this year. Um, kind of been like the, the their ace of their staff this year uh, with the other injuries that they've had. That's a guy that would surprise me, and he's got some team control left, and he's been really good at 25. Uh, or any of the Cleveland guys. That that would Those would surprise me as well. So like if you're going Bieber, right, or you're going Plesak, you know, those those type of, those, of pitchers, then yes, Valley maybe, I guess. I mean, I, I guess those would – those would surprise me, I think, because you probably have to give up a lot more to land one of those guys. Okay, so I'm, I generally agree. I don't think that the Phillies are going to do the oh shit deal, but I, I do wonder if there's going to be conversations. It would be one of those things where come Wednesday morning, if you were a fly on the wall, some of the conversations they have, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something out there where they, they at least take a moment to consider it and say, this would take some serious stones to do it, but boy, if we did it, uh, this this fan base, Major League Baseball, the sport would be talking about it. So I don't think that's coming. I do think it's going to be someone that you can hand the ball to in a playoff game, game three, and say, go get them. I expect that. I'd be disappointed if they didn't do that, you know, from a fan uh, viewpoint. 
now here's where we may differ. I believe talking to you, I get the sense that that is your primary target and, and kind of your lone target at this point. I still think that this team could use another bullpen piece. I would not invest heavily in order to bring one in. Uh, but I, I'm not totally sold on the idea that what you've gotten from the Phillies bullpen for the last two months is what the Phillies bullpen truly will be over the next two months. So I would like to see a setup caliber arm. I don't think you have to go out and try to, you know, bring in a, a legit closer. I think that Sir Anthony Dominguez has proven that he can do that. I, I, I like their options, at least a couple of the options ahead of him. But man, one more proven piece in the back of that bullpen. I'd feel a lot better about it. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that, Bob. I'm really not. I, I just don't think it's as, as high a priority. But um, when I, and what I say is, when I say that I'm okay if the only move they make is a pitcher, starting pitcher, the reason I, I feel that way is because of how some of these guys have gone. You know, like you mentioned Kniebel uh, a little bit ago. He's been sensational. His last 14 and a two, 14 outings, he's given up two hits. Two hits in 14 outings. Yeah, I want to talk about him in a little bit more detail that, later on. That, but Connor Brogdon is – you want to talk about a guy who comes in and he's, and he's not afraid of any situation right now? This kid is coming in and he's throwing. I, I mean, look at – you know, and, and I, then I look at, you know, a little bit further, you look at a kid like Bellotti, who is completely unexpected, you know, and he's having an, an okay year, a decent year out of the pen. But what he does is he strikes a ton of guys out. I think he's over 13 strikeouts per nine now. And you can rely yeah, you go on back to You go back to June 1st, which is obviously right around where Rob Thompson takes over for Joe yeah. Girardi. And, I mean, the Phillies have the National League's best war in terms of, of their relievers, and they have the National League's third best ERA now for, for yeah. a two-month span. And that's that's not a week. It's not a homestand. It's not nothing. I mean, that's a substantial amount of time in a season to have pitched at that level. And, you know, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Phillies starting pitching against Pittsburgh over four games – 25 innings pitch, they only allow five earned runs in 25 innings. Yuri's Familia, in less than two innings pitched, allowed six earned runs. And so I know that every bullpen has one guy that if you took his numbers out of it, it would look a hell of a lot better. But if you remove Familia's numbers from this bullpen over the last two months, it would almost be spotless. Uh, because that guy is a, a raging dumpster fire, and we could probably talk a little bit about him uh, later on. But... One of my hopes I have at the trade deadline is that he is no longer on this team after it. And I, as a guy, and like I, we're not totally like fans here. I mean, like, listen, we go down and cover the team. I think it's sort of unprofessional to say, like, I want this guy to lose his job. Like, as, as a human being, you never want to see people lose their jobs. But I think from an objective standpoint... He does not warrant a spot on a major league roster. And so it's nothing personal. And I know Rob Thompson's talked about how he's run into some bad luck and that he's so good in the in the locker room or the clubhouse and that there's impacts that he has beyond on-field production. Th then, okay, make him an assistant uh, bullpen coach. Make him an assistant pitching coach then if you want to do that because he can't pitch. And there's no way that he can pitch for this team down the stretch. He almost lit that game on Thursday night on fire, and he almost did the same thing on Sunday afternoon. I mean, you're handing the guy six-run lead, seven-run lead, and he turns it into a circus. I, I mean, you just – there's no place for him on a major league roster after tomorrow. If they hold on to him, holy shit, man. Like, I understand you invest a lot of money in a guy, but – 
Talk about a team that's trying to make the playoffs. It would be indefensible for him to be on this roster at the end of this week. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. But I, I, the the one thing I think that we're um, the one name I kind of think flies under the radar and we forget about. Again, we talk about you know Harper and Segura coming back. Coonrod. You got yeah. Sam Coonrod. Now, no, 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 he's not Sam Coonrod's not you know the be all end all. But I mean, he's certainly another arm that throws 97, 98 in that bullpen that has had a couple of stretches of really good baseball in his time with the Phillies so that, you know, you have him coming here in the next week or two. Again, that's another nice addition to this, to this bullpen. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of sort of okay. I mean, yeah, Alvarado still gives me heart palpitations (laughs) when I watch him pitch. Um, uh, You know, he gave up the home run. Um, He had another crazy bad inning the other night. So so I'm like, I'm starting to wonder if the shine of that, post uh minor league trip is starting to wear off a little bit little bit with him um so maybe i don't trust him as much in those high leverage situations um and that's where i think the improvement could could have come um you know even brad hand as good as he's been he's better against right handers and against lefties so maybe you could use another lefty arm out of the pen and get one from somewhere that you know that maybe is you know yeah, I think in a perfect world, we'd say, yeah, like, sure, you obviously want another back-of-the-bullpen guy, another, another high-leverage guy. Uh, I think when you just look at what the Phillies' trade capital is going to be, how are you going to allocate the conservative approach? Like, they have a limited amount of resources they're probably going to be willing to part with here. So how do you allocate those resources to optimize the return. And so that's where I think you say, yeah, sure, I would love to add to this bullpen, but can they reasonably do it if the primary target's going to be a starting pitcher? Which then kind of plays into the third and final point. I am a a huge proponent that they add a center fielder that can hit from the left side. And if it were Odubel Herrera from April 1 to May 15th, I would say maybe that's sufficient. But given what he has been now for for the better part of two-plus months, which is very underwhelming... I don't want to see Matt Vierling out there every day in center field. I just feel like a left-handed bat that could give you competitive, professional plate appearances would be extremely useful for this team. And I understand the the offensive help they're going to get here this week with Gene Segura and then maybe at the end of this month, beginning of September, with Bryce Harper's return. But I really would like to see another outfield bat that could hit from the left side. And I don't know where you fall on that, but... Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I would. Would I like it? Yeah, I mean, sure. But again, like you said, with with limited draft capital to move, or uh, or I should say draft capital, with limited prospect capital to move, uh, I it's just it's down my depth chart of things. It's like, yeah, if they can get it, great. If they can get it, awesome. If not, I'm willing to go to war with what I have. It's not the greatest. It's not the best, but. If I have to go, if I ha- if you say to me, you have to go. We got you the top end starting pitcher. We added to the bullpen, um, but we have to go Veerling, Herrera, platoon to bat ninth and play center field. I, I, I deal with that. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't get I don't get frustrated that they didn't fill that one. You know what I'm saying? I, that's that's kind of where I am with that. It's like yeah, can we if we could get it, if we could get an upgrade there, I'm all in. But if but if we had to rank it, it's third on the list. And if they don't get it done, it's the one where I could, you know, every team's got a hole of some kind. That's not the deepest hole in my mind. 
I think that's pretty fair. It's interesting that we're talking about this right now. You mentioned Bryce Harper goes down and, and just how well this team has played. And it's a sign of a good team. It's a sign of a team that's been able to rally at times. Different guys have helped this team stay afloat for different stretches. Obviously, Kyle Schwarber in June was, was huge. He's had some big home runs in July. They don't get to this point, though, without the resurgence of, of two players and just unbelievable Julys from both players. And, and the first I want to talk about is Alec Boom because not only has Alec Boom had a 20-game stretch here that, is, that has changed the numbers, his numbers from this season, from being substandard, lackluster, concerning to borderline amazing, uh, but I think it is also now maybe changing the perception of, of what the player could be long term. And so I think the question that we have to ask ourselves here as the calendar flips to August is, do you believe what you saw from Alec Bohm in the month of July? And I mean, I think we all kind of get the numbers. He hit over 430. The OPS was over 1,000. Starting to drive the ball into the gaps with a little bit more consistency. I mean, we've seen Alec Boom have multi-hit games where they're, they're broken bat flares that, that dink into right field or, or four hoppers through the hole on the left side. We're starting to see the ball be driven with more authority, though, now. And I think we would all agree that the defense is not good enough to offset mediocre offensive output. But now you're talking about a 300 hitter. OPS starting to trend into the mid-700s. The trajectory seems to be going in a positive direction. So what do you make of Alec Bohm right now? Well, I, I've been looking at Alec Bohm his whole season, in all honesty. And not just July. Obviously, July has been the reason we've been looking at his whole season, right? But I went back and looked at it, Bob. And, you know, yeah, he's had, he had a couple of stretches early in the year where he was not great. Um but if you looked at if you look at it month by month, in April he hit over 300. In May and June he hit 254, 256, and then July he hits 430 something. Right. So, did he really ever have a bad month? He's also a guy though that was pulled off the field for, for stretches of time where it was like they got to get this guy out of the lineup. I mean he's he's unplayable at third base. He's not hitting at all. I mean like that was early. That was I, early I, in the I year. It was early in the year. Okay, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. So, like, I, I look at it and say they stuck with him, they gave him a chance, and now they're reaping the benefits of it. And, yes, there's a lot – there's a different the, – the July Alec Bohm is certainly a different guy than the April, May, and June guy. He's been far more aggressive at the plate. He's been on top of fastballs really early in counts. He's not getting himself – in, you know, into bad counts. And that, and that was one of the things that I was frustrated with when I would watch him and be like, I like his two-strike approach, but why is he constantly in two-strike counts? Like, he should never be – like, he was taking a lot of pitches that he really shouldn't have taken. Um, and now, now all of a sudden he's the kind of guy that's like, you know what, I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to be aggressive early in the account and, and take advantage of it. And in the last 36 games, he's had 18 multiple-hit games. It's amazing. 18 multiple hit games in the last 30. That's all. That's unbelievable in a lot of. I mean, how many guys in any in, anywhere in baseball put up 18 multiple multiple hit games in 30 out of 36? Okay, so that's that's really good. So yeah, I liked what he's doing. I like his. Uh, I just like that his uh, confidence and his aggressiveness have gotten him to where he is. And then if he does get himself in a two strike count, 
he can rely on and lean back on the fact that he's been a good two-strike hitter all season, even when he wasn't as hot as he is right now. So I think that's great. And so I'm on board with it. I'm not sure that I'm on board with him as top of the lineup guy. You know, I'm hitting third right now, and that's great, and that's wonderful. Um, but when Harper comes back and you have to drop him further back down the lineup, if he's hitting six or seven, uh, come on, man. You could, you, could be, you could get a lot worse from that spot. And, yeah, he's not a good defensive player. I will say that he's been better than he was. He was awful. And now he's kind of getting closer he's, to average, right? I mean, I mean he's still not there. Average, he's still below he's average. average. He's below average still, but he's not. He's getting closer he's to some average. Flash so, I mean, plays. He's made some been... plays where, including in, in Pittsburgh the other night, a little slow roller up the line, comes charging in, bare yeah. hand across the infield, gets an out. I mean, he's been better. I, I would not say he's even average. Uh, I know that some people like the narrative here has been, well, he's actually made himself into a ser- serviceable third baseman. And I'm like. If the word serviceable is meant to be, like, playable, like, slightly below average, I'll go for that. But, like, the defense just is not grayed out right. on a consistent basis that he's average or even slightly above average at this point. But I do want to put the 299 in context. When he gets his fourth hit yesterday, there was a period where he was hitting 300 on the nose. He is eighth in the National League right now in batting average. And he's, like, seven percentage points from being within the top three behind Paul Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman. It's those two in a class above the, you know everyone else. I believe Goldschmidt's at 328, Freeman's at 325. But everybody else is kind of hovering just a shade over 300. Like, we're talking about Alec Boehm being a couple hits away this week, early on in the week, from being uh, the owner of one of the National League's five best batting averages. I mean, that's insane to me that we're talking about this right now. Yeah, no, it, it is, but it's a lot, Bob. It's if you recall back to his rookie year, this is a lot of what right. he did then. Yeah, I mean, he hit what he hit three thirty eight. I know it was only a sixty game sample or whatever the hell it was, um, but at the same time, it's like you know there was there was a lot to like in in his bat then, and yet it disappeared. Sophomore slump, and you know coming into this year wasn't there, and they were talking about trading him in March because Bryson started beating him out in spring training for third base. And it's funny, you look at it now, and they're both Stott and Bohm are are key parts of this team. And and they're going to be probably moving forward. So um, for all the for all the criticism that the Phillies have taken for not having guys from the system, um, three fourths of your infield uh, and, and and one of your aces uh, I've come from within the system. Just, so a, it's, just a quick it's question. We just talked about doing like an oh shit deal at the trade deadline. We know that the Phillies flirted with the idea of, of maybe parting ways with Alec Boehm in spring training. People didn't bite. Teams didn't bite. It's red hot right now. If you don't necessarily believe it, any idea, any thought selling high on Alec Boehm at the trade deadline? Would you do it? Would you consider it? I mean, I consider anything, depending on who the return is. But man, you'd have to really, really upgrade the offense yeah. at this point. Yeah. And with somebody, I, I only ask just as a just as a thought. I mean, listen, you you would do any deal for the right return, but um, I I don't foresee them doing that. I'm just kind of having fun with uh, what a time for him to get hot, though, right? Right as we approach August too. It's just just out there in the just off in the distance. Just an idea flickering off in the distance right now uh, it's it's crazy though and i do wonder long term if if he is able to sustain this to some degree 
uh, you know, does it change the way that the Phillies think about the future? Does it change what they do with the corner infield spots? Um, it's it's an interesting di- dynamic, and I know right now the focus is on the trade deadline. I, I know uh, the deadline. I know that right now the focus is on the Phillies making the postseason. We don't need to talk about 2023 and beyond. But if if he does morph into this player that that they had hoped he could be, this hitter that he hoped he that that they hoped he could be, what might it do for the team's long-term plan? So it's, it, it is an interesting thought. Um, the other player, and I think that when Bryce Harper got hurt, we all said, you know, two guys have to step up. Nick Castellanos, and that has not really happened. I know he's had a few hits out in Pittsburgh this week. I, I still remain largely unimpressed by him. We can maybe get to him in a moment if you want. But where I'm coming back to with this is JT Romuto, and I think a lot of people felt the Phillies – would not stay afloat and would not be in this position because JT Romuto simply showed no signs of life up until really that series, up until the end of June. For three months, JT Romuto was just largely ineffective. A lot of uh, you know soft contact on the left side, rolling over ground ball after ground ball. Decent defense at times, but some uncharacteristically sloppy play as well. He just said, this is not the best catcher in baseball anymore. This is a bad contract, and oh my God, they've got to deal with multiple years after this one dealing with this. Now, all he's done over his last 20-plus games, 22 games I think he's played since Harper went down, he's hitting almost 350. Again, a player with an OPS almost over 1,000 since the Harper injury. And you look at wins above replacement, and I know it feels a little bit subjective to people, that metric, but he leads... All qualified Major League Baseball catchers this morning on August 1st in war. And by that grade out, he's the best catcher in baseball. Now, Alejandro Kirk, uh, Wilson Contreras, they're having superior offensive seasons to Real Muto at this point. When you assess the total package, you could make an argument that this season, JT Real Muto has been the best catcher in baseball. So, I mean... The Phillies are not where they are at this morning without what he has done for the last month plus. No question. And, you know, we, we, when you really look at the difference makers since the Harper injury, it's been the three things have been Real Muto, Bohm, and the bullpen. It's the, those three things and, and, and no, no, nothing else, uh, in all honesty. I mean, Schwarber was in the tank for a, a long while. Castellanos didn't get hot until after he got into a fight with Jim Salisbury. Um, uh, you know, the rest of the – Hoskins has been hot and cold, though. He was uh, looked really good, really good on Friday night. Um, you know, the, the, so those, yeah, I mean, those been the, that's really been it, um, and it, it's really been good to see Real Muto get back to being himself at the plate because there was a real concern that he was slip sliding away from the old guy that we would never get to see that old JT again. Um, I'm still not in love with. I, th- I think he's overrated. Defensively, I think he's a catcher with a great arm who is doesn't necessarily call a great game, doesn't necessarily frame pitch as well, doesn't necessarily block pitch as well. Like, I mean, I think that those parts of his game are overrated. Um, and there are times when I watch a game and I'm like, geez, man, if he would just do this, if he would just do that, it would be so much better. But um, I, you can't knock the, the, the production that he's given you. He's really been... He's really been – he's been almost more impressive than Bohm because I think some of – more of his hits have come in clutch spots when the Phillies have really needed a hit. 
JT's been the guy to provide it. And, and so, you know, in that from that frame of reference, I'm glad the Phillies have him at this point because that's what that's what they've needed uh, in order to be as successful as they've been. With yeah, crazy. Play. I mean, just to kind of put a bow on that thought, I mean, through 68 games, he hit 239 with a 677 OPS. 22 games since then, he's hit 346. OPS has been lifted up to 760. I mean, at this point in the season, it's hard to do that. To put that in context, I mean, you're talking about being, you know, 100 games in. So you're well beyond the halfway point. So to move the needle to that yeah. degree this late in the year speaks to just how good he's been. I mean, and I know a lot of that damage was done in Pittsburgh over these last four days, but he was awesome. And... I, I, it's And again, it kind of just draws back to what we were talking about earlier. Is JT Real Muto a legitimate middle-of-the-order offensive threat? I, I don't I don't know. Is, is Alec Bohm going to hit 430 over the next two months? Probably not. Is Kyle Schwarber going to hit 12 home runs in any given month down the stretch? Probably not. But this team has just found a way, different guys doing it at a certain period of time, to help put it in this position and we're not talking about a hundred win team here we're not talking about an eventual world series winner so i don't want to speak so glowingly of a team that is still a flawed team that is probably going to struggle again at points over the next two months but i do think as critical as we can be as critical as this fan base can be as as hard on the phillies as we can be at times now does feel like a good time to accentuate the positive Well, yeah, it it really it really is, and and I'll I'll even I'll even take it a little bit further, Bob. I mean, I I I, I do. Every team is flawed, right? Every team is flawed in some way. There's always something. This team's great, but there's something about it that, that's flawed, and you know, it's it's just the nature of a thirty team league, right? There's it's it's diluted to the point where every team's got to have a hole. And the Phillies have closed some holes in season with what they have. And, and and they've done a nice job with it. And credit to these players for stepping in to, to do that and doing what they have to do. And that's all you can ask of them, right? I mean, you know, it's all you can really say to these guys. like, look, we need you to do X. And, and they've gone, okay, we'll do X, but we'll also give you a little Y and Z while we're at it. And if they go back to just doing X, that's okay too, you know. But for now, if if Alec Bohm's going to hit 430 for a month, gravy. If JT Romuto is going to hit 360 for a month or whatever it was, and 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 be as productive as he's been in the clutch, gravy, right? I mean that that to me that's we need you to do this much, and you're doing a little bit more. That, that, again, that's and I'll tell you another thing, Bob. Not just being down there at the games, but even going to Pittsburgh and you know, watching them you know, from the stands, just watching them interact on the field, there's a lot of adoration yeah. for each other with yeah, this group. I, I they that. like I playing for each too. other. I mean, you just you see something like DD in the ninth, I mean, after they pick off O'Neill Cruz, which was a great play, right? After after Kniebel picks off Cruz, you knew that was it. That was, The Pirates were not coming back inside in game, move. Right? You just yeah. knew it wasn't. All right, you knew it was done. The game was over. They just needed those last two outs. But Didi makes that great play up the middle, right? Every player on the field, and I mean every player, took their hat, tipped it to Didi. It's like this thing that they're doing now. It's like this hat tip thing, you know. It's like a, I guess that's like you know their new 
Homer hat, right? It's, the, it's that kind of thing. You make a great defensive play, they're going to tip, tip their hat to you. Every player on the field did it yeah. to each other. And it's like they're, they're in. They're in with this concept. And I'll say this. Everybody keeps saying, yeah, well, they did a lot of damage against Pittsburgh. Pirates stink. <laughs> but they stink because they have no lineup, okay? Their pitching's not terrible. I mean, go back and look at I mean, Brubaker had a nice season going until the Phillies lit him up, you know? Mitch Keller's, eh, you know, not the greatest pitcher, but, you know, they, they finally got to him. I mean, he held them down. Quintana, they beat Quintana, <laughs> who's going to get traded maybe here to the Phillies. Um, at the death, right? He might be one of the guys the Phillies get. Um, you know, they, they beat him too. So three of the four pitchers that they saw, and even Pittsburgh's got a couple of decent arms in the pen. You know, Bednar's really nice closer. Will Crow, they touched him up. I mean, he's a decent bullpen arm. So it's not like they went out there and, and, and just beat up on a bunch of nobodies. They, they actually hit some decent pitching in Pittsburgh. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't want to just say, oh, they, well, they just beat up on the Pirates. The yeah. Pirates stink because they have no offense. They, the Pirates' lineup is just brutal. Cannot hit. It was absolutely yeah. horrible to watch that. that I mean, so that's, that's uh, the reason they stink. It's not because of their pitching. It's because they have no lineup. Yeah, that, they're a tough watch, I, I will say. It's nice when your team's playing them, but my God, right. they uh, they just have no pop whatsoever. Uh, on my board here, I, I have two quick things that I, I wanted to touch on, and we don't really need to dive into uh, Corey Knable at this point. Uh, I just think the, the, the flow of the show here hasn't allowed for it, but we did briefly mention him. We've mentioned the, the bullpen's resurgence, and I do think, given that he got the last six outs on, on Saturday night, it, it's just worth noting I mean, we talk about this guy like he's been a disaster, but you look at the numbers this morning, he has a 2.59 ERA, he's allowed a run in only 8 of his 42 appearances this season, 14 straight appearances where he's been unscored upon, and over his last 14 appearances, opponents are hitting 0.44 against him. I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable. We look at him like he was a $10 million reclamation project, but in reality, he has now sort of built himself back into a spot where he's a valuable piece of this bullpen. And I know that not all of these appearances have come in the highest of leverages, uh, but he, I think, is a guy at this point that you, you feel all right about giving the ball to in a meaningful spot. And... It's another situation where I say, like, I don't, I'm not so impressed with him. Sometimes he's tough to watch, but it's like a grind mentality with this team where they, they figure it out, they find a way. And I think that he's sort of a representation of that. Yeah, I, I got to give him credit. I mean, we killed him on here a month ago, right? I mean, we killed him. I mean, he was horrible. Yeah, we killed him. Horrible. And I was like, I was, done. I was almost ready to be done with, with, with him. I was, I was not quite like, get him off the team, but it was like, I can't see him in any of high leverage situation and then he worked his way back and what he's done bob is he's got a little more life on the fastball a little bit he's up 97 98 was when he was thrown in pittsburgh but the curveball is the most important thing he's getting it over for strikes right and when he was before he couldn't th- that curveball was in the dirt nonstop. he couldn't he couldn't and everybody was just like i can't i'm gonna just spit on it and just gonna sit on sit on the fastball and if he throws the first strike then i'm gonna swing and I, you know, we could we could time a jet plane in the in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, it's the hitters. That's how they are. Um, so they'll figure it out. So the curveball getting over for strikes, 
even if it's just more like a show me kind of thing, but it gets him it gets him ahead. That's that's the difference with Knievel. and it's been working for him. And I think it's it's interesting. It's it's kind. Of, I guess we got to give credit to Caleb Cotham because this is what's turned Alvarado around as well. Uh, even though he, like I said, he got a little leaky lately, but he started pitching backwards. He started pitching with the off-speed stuff first, and then the fastball second. Set up the fastball. Set up the fastball. Uh, I think that that's kind of been a nice approach for these guys in the bullpen, um, who've who've been a little bit wild, a little bit you know inconsistent, and it's worked. So you know the only guy that hasn't worked for is Familia. Um, but but yeah, I mean, so like yeah, it's good. And I'm, so if I'm looking at it and I'm saying, all right, we're we're locked into Dominguez as our as our closer, and if he can't close because he's pitched two days in a row, all right, well then I guess Kniebel can be the guy, right? And we we kind of like Brogdon kind of being that, you know, that fireman to come in when things are things are dangerous, no matter what inning it is, right? He's kind of like the guy that comes in and gets out of a jam. Okay, cool. And Brad Hand is your reverse lefty. Okay, not we like that. And Knievel's got to kind of become like, yeah, your seventh, eighth inning setup guy, really, you know. And again, when you need when you need strikeouts more than anything else, uh, especially against right-handers. I mean, he's been he's been really good in that role. I I, I would if, again if the Phillies are going to add to the bullpen, I hope it's a lefty. That's all. Uh, real quick, uh, the, the last the last thing I want to touch on here is you have Gene Segura likely coming back this week. I think all indications are that he'll be in Atlanta with the team. Uh, he will become this team's everyday second baseman again, I assume. Uh, what does this mean for the Phillies infield? Because I think that when Gene Segura first went out, you figured, well, when he comes back, Alec Boehm doesn't warrant playing every day, so there will be an opportunity for Bryson Stott to play some shortstop, play some third base. The way things are going right now, Alec Bohm's not coming off the field at third base. So the question becomes, what happens at shortstop? And off of that, I guess I do want to talk a little bit about the one trade that the Phillies did make, uh, which has resulted in, in Johan Camargo being sent down to AAA. There's a guy whose who's star fell pretty quickly. Uh, Phillies were kind of really up on him at the beginning of the season as a, as a utility guy that could play in multiple spots, and he didn't play at all, and then they just sent him down. So... The, the Phillies infield is in a little bit of a state of flux right now, and maybe the trade deadline and, and what happens before it will help sort this thing out. But let's just assume that they don't do anything to address the infield because I don't think they will at this point. How do you see this thing playing out at shortstop? Because D.D. Gregori has made some key defensive plays this weekend. He had a couple hits. Do you think that the Phillies kind of skewed toward the veteran leader who is showing some signs of life at the plate? Or do they skew towards the young player who is finally starting to figure it out and has also played a really sound defensive second base? They're both left-handed hitters. How the hell are they going to manage this thing? Yeah, that's a good question, Bob. And I think what the, the deal for Sosa, I think they bring in Sosa as late inning defensive replacement because he's really good at shortstop defensively and as a base stealer, pinch runner. I think that's what he – I think he's the 25th man on the roster, and I think that they value those things out of him more than – I mean, he's not – he can't hit, right? He couldn't hit – yeah, he hit last year, and I know everybody's like, oh, well, he had a nice year last year. Maybe he just needed – no, no, he's, the guy can't hit, couldn't hit in the minors. I, I totally agree that that yeah. move is nothing more than, than solidifying that last that Yeah, last he's, he's the 25th man or 26th man on the roster for the playoffs, and that's exactly what he's here for – defense and pinch running so i don't think he comes into the equation what the equation then now becomes stott or gregorius at shortstop 
And I think what their solution here is, is it's going to start off with Stott. But I think that their DD is the veteran backup plan. If Stott doesn't, if he goes cold, or if there's a concern because, you know, young player in a, in a first big-time spot, DD's been there before. Not that DD's hitting, not that he, but it's at least a veteran guy who knows how to live in that moment a little bit. And he's otherwise becomes a left-hand bat off the bench for them. Not that it's a great left-handed bat off the bench, but it's a left-handed bat off the bench nonetheless. I think that's kind of how it plays out. And, of course, you know, you need to give Bohm a game off. You can play them both against a righty. You can play Gregorius at shortstop at third. Segura might need a couple. You know, he might not be able to play every day right away. They might want to give him a game off here and there, and so you can still play Stott at second and Gregorius at short. So I think that there are some opportunities will exist, you know, and maybe you want to give Bryson a game off and give Didi out there. You know, I, th I think Didi will get his games here down the stretch, but I think that it's primarily, the plan is going to be primarily Segura, Stott, and and Didi maybe getting, you know, what you said there's 60 games left. If, if Didi starts 15 to 20, I think that's probably, I think that's probably what you're looking at and Stott getting the rest. That's probably what it is. Yeah, I'm very, very curious to see how that shakes out. I, I would imagine they will lean stop first. Uh, I do know that there's probably considerations, though, where you're talking about a veteran presence, a guy that, that generates a lot of respect um, in, within the organization. So there's a lot of pride there and say, hey, we're in the middle of a pennant race, and now we're going we're gonna to sit you down. Then again, he had control over that situation, and the fact that he just cannot drive the baseball with, with not only any consistency, he just can't drive the baseball, period, uh, I mean, what do you do there? And I, I right. think it's a pretty obvious answer, at least right now. I think that the plan is what you said it is. Um, and, and then having that insurance policy to back it up. But it's, I think, a little bit of an uncomfortable mix. And I do wonder what the level of buy-in from the veteran player will be um, when, when that's how it goes down. So... Something to keep an eye on. Uh, that is it for me. I don't know if you have a one last thing or anything else you I hit do. on. Of course I have a Before one last you... thing, Bob. Yeah. I not have a one last thing. Um, and this was kind of, you know, concerning for uh, those of us in the Philadelphia area, especially those of us in the South Jersey area. Is Mike Trout ever going to be Mike Trout again? That back injury is very concerning. This injury is... Yeah, I mean, the quote that that really got me, and you know, now they're saying that, um, uh, you know, it sounds like he's going to, you know, be able to get back at some point. He talked to a specialist, but here's what the quote that Trout said: "He said it went from my career is over to hopefully I'm going to play soon." It's pretty. It's like, you know, how how do you go from how do you say that my career is over to hopefully I'm going to play soon. Like, that doesn't sound all no. that promising. Because not only, even if you do come back, even if you are able to come back and play, can you ever really be the player you were? I mean, I, I, I've, never, I've never seen an injury where a player was being told, you're never going to play again, and then all of a sudden be able, oh, yeah, you get back out be there and then be able I mean, to yeah. be... Any time that that terminology comes into play, uh, yeah. career-altering, potentially career-threatening, and then to come back and be Willie Mays, you know, to come back and be Mickey Mantle, I guess, you know, uh, it's, yeah. it's hard to say. Now, he's had a decent year. I mean, he's he's hitting only 270, which by his standards is is concerning, actually. But you look at 
967 OPS, it looks like here as I'm, I'm pulling up his stats. I mean, he's, he's obviously still one of the game's elite players, but yeah, I mean, you do have to wonder and worry about what he's going to be. And you can have the conversations about, is he an ambassador of the game? Has he been marketed properly? How can baseball's best player, um, a generational talent, just not really be that much of a difference maker in terms of evolving and growing the game? Is he rotting away on a just terrible Angels team yet again? Like, you can have all of those conversations. But you still want to see the guy get another 9, 10 years at an elite level and, and become one of the game's all-time best. And that's being threatened right now by what's going on with him. So, yeah, I mean, hell, it's, it's yeah. definitely a concern. On, yeah, it really is, really is. I hope, uh, hope Trout's able to get back out there and, and be the guy he once was. But, man, when you hear him say that it went from my career is over, whew. You know, even if it's not. And how about being the Angels right now? With that, with that financial investment, you just cannot find ways to win. You've been just so disappointing and have just spent so poorly that the fact that we're even talking about Shohei Otani being possible, yeah, trade in possible. the trade market, yeah. right? Like, I mean, oh my God, but they have been that bad. And I think that the Angels really have to think about and take a step back and say, what are we? What are we trying to accomplish here? They're not that team. They're not that team that's one more big free agent signing away from from forging ahead and becoming a threat in the AL West. I mean, that team's a disaster yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Bob, I, I didn't get a chance to say this earlier, but um, I did I did kind of throw it at you and you laughed, uh, but it was part of a whole other conversation. But le legitimately, since Nick Castellano has called Jim Salisbury's question a stupid question, he's hitting 382. Just, just thought I'd throw that out there. 841 OBS. It's great. I don't I don't want to come across like I'm I have some like bias against <laughs> Nick Castellanos or anything. I mean, I think no there was nobody in this region that was more up on the Nick Castellanos signing than I was. He was the guy that I was like, "Oh my god, he's a doubles machine. He's a force in the middle. He's got fire and all that stuff." And we haven't seen any of that. So I I'd love to see him save his season with two strong months here down the stretch. I just am yeah. still unimpressed. I mean, I, I know he had four hits on Sunday. And I know that there's been he's been starting to pull the ball a little bit. But, like, I mean, the guy has one home run yeah. in the last two months. Now, just, my, my, uh, until he starts hitting the ball with some, some authority into the gap. I just my, go, biggest yeah, right, concern, my biggest concern with him is that he's still free, too, swinging too much. He's a free swinger. Just take pitches. Yeah. Swinging too much. He's, he's top five in, in yeah. I believe, whiff percentage. Uh, or, or is it top five percent? Or uh, Yeah, he's top five in baseball in both uh, swing percentage and swinging yeah. outside the zone. I mean, it's just, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for a singles hitter. If, if there was more upside in that, I'd say, yeah, sure. But, I mean, basically, like, he's he's giving you, like, Ben Revere mm -hmm. contact. And, right and, and, and I, so, I honestly, uh, I said I was uh, standing in line for ice cream with my son, and we were able to – we were watching one of his at-bats on the TV above us at, at PNC Park. And just it was just awful. It was just an awful at bat. Um, I think it was Friday night, and uh, I said, you know, would you, if you're Thompson, don't you just say to him, I want you to go up there one at bat, and just don't swing. Just don't swing at anything, right? I don't care if you strike out looking. Just go up there and don't swing, and see where they're throwing you, and watch. And guess what? You're going to see that these are balls. Because it's a slider down and away, or it's a change up down. That's all you're getting, and you're swinging at every one of them. Let it go, and and then maybe that changes your approach a little bit. And I would be a little bit more up on what we saw this past week with him. I'd say, well, you know, look at these. He's getting some hits. Obviously, that's going to help his confidence, and he's going to relax a little bit. And maybe that's true. And and there's a possibility that is the case. 
But I think we've just been saying that to ourselves all season, or really since May, since this thing really took a turn. We've been like, oh, you know, that, that multi-hit game will get them going, and a, a dink and a dunk, and all of a sudden the average is up 10 points, and now he'll finally relax and be who he is. And But it hasn't materialized that way, and until it does, I just can't really buy in and say, oh, wow, you know, here, here comes Nick Castellanos. And, you know, certainly the hope would be that that's, that's around the corner here. He has time to save the season. He has a couple hot months. He'll end up hitting 275, 280. Maybe he gets to, like, 16, 17 homers, you know, but... The last two months, I mean, the last two and a half months, there's been no power at all, and yeah, he's, he's a middle of the order guy that that's that's giving you eight nine hitter production. It's just not yeah, not good I agree. Enough. I agree. All right, well that will do it. We found a way to be negative. It took us about an hour here, but you know, of course, we close on a negative note. Phillies have a you know, they're all big weeks at this point, so I say it's a big week. I guess that's Captain Obvious stuff there. But two in Atlanta, they come home for four against the Washington Nationals. They have an opportunity to make a move. Trade deadlines here at the beginning of this week. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about later when we reconvene on our next episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel for Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to everybody soon.